It is bittersweet to be back. I enjoyed very much spending quality time with my wife on the time that we were gone. I also enjoy doing what I believe God has called me to do. So I guess if I could travel, come back on Sundays and travel some more, that would be perfect. Uh, But that's not my life. But um, while we were gone, we did attend another church, um, which caused me to do a couple of things. One, when it comes to the message, I kind of um, smiled during it. Um, I, I guess you might say, for good or for bad, the times that I went and took seminary classes, I did not take a class on preaching. Uh, but I know what they say. The class will tell you, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And have three points in a poem. Well, the church I went to is in a different denomination, so apparently they had a modification of that. He had four points and two poems. And so um, it, it was good. It was, it was also interesting because when I was there and people were greeting and shaking hands, the pastor came up to me and asked me my name, and I said, I'm Joe Davis. And he goes, I think I know you. And I go, no, you don't know me, but you've been praying for my wife. And even in the bulletin, they had her name where they were praying for her. So I know he was praying because the name rang a bell. But when I came home, it was freshening and good because not only did I get to hear the piano, the drums, and three different guitars where you see the church that I went to last Sunday, they just sang. No instruments. Uh, so much so that um, my wife had to call me up because they just started singing and I didn't hear them because there weren't any instruments. And so I kind of was standing out in the middle when church started. Uh, so it's always good to see what other denominations do. Um, but I'll take my home church every time. Um, so we're going to continue on our study of the life and ministry of Jesus in an in complete, imperfect chronology. And what we're going to look at this time is Jesus' calling of his first disciples. Um, We're going to look at two different passages, one that gives a more fuller explanation and one that just gives a really abbreviated. So I want you to see that just because they're not synonymous is good because if everything was exactly the same, then you would think it was all contrived. So we're going to take a look at first in Luke chapter 5, and then we'll move quickly to Matthew, and then we'll also take a look at what does it mean for you and me as his disciples. So in Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, He was standing by the lake Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little away from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. 
So we see Jesus, this Sea of Galilee, this Lake of Gennesaret, is by Capernaum where Jesus has now kind of placed his headquarters for his ministry. And he is teaching and preaching, and the people are pressing around him, and it's hard for him to deliver his message. So he goes and asks Simon to move out so that he can talk. And in essence, he creates, if you will, a, a stadium effect where they can hear him. And he does what is their custom. He sits down and they stand. One of these days, I'd love to try that, where I get to sit and you have to stand the entire... And I think I would choose my longest sermon. I would, I would sit and then watch you. Now, we're not told what the message was. We're just told... And I'll tell you later why I think we're not told what the message was. But what we do know is that these boats had come in from a long night of work and the fishermen were basically cleaning and mending their nets for the following day's or evening's work. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, Peter's the fisherman. Peter's an expert at his vocation. He just told Jesus, you know, we worked hard all night. We're tired. The result of our working hard all night was we caught nothing. But notice Peter's response. I do not believe that Peter's response is based on faith. Because there's no guarantee anything. As a matter of fact, Peter's thinking, I've done this before. I believe Peter responds out of respect for who Jesus is. I don't think he's thinking anything will happen. He's just saying, okay, Rabbi, I've seen you do other things. I've had contact with you. And out of my respect as you being a rabbi, I'll do what you say. Wouldn't it be interesting if we would respond to Jesus that way? You know, I don't think this is going to work, Jesus. I don't even have any faith that it will work. But because I respect and trust you, I'll do it anyway. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they singled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. They didn't just fill one boat with fish. They filled two boats with fish, and so much it was causing the boats to sink. Now, this wasn't a little rowboat. These were boats probably about 25, 30 feet long that would have a sail. So these were substantial boats, and so there was a great catch of fish. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
Peter has a response that's different than what we are taught today. There are so many people teaching and preaching prosperity that you would have thought based on their teaching that Peter's response would be, hey Jesus, why don't we form a partnership? You tell me where to catch the fish, I'll catch the fish and we'll get rich. This is awesome. Obviously, you have a talent for knowing where fish are, so let's make a fortune. But that's not, Jesus, that's not Peter's response to Jesus at all. It is, Lord, I don't deserve to be in your presence because I'm a sinful man. You see, Jesus wasn't a fisherman. He was raised as a carpenter's son. He was an itinerant preacher, a rabbi. His knowledge didn't come from becoming an expert in Peter's vocation. His ability came from being the Son of God and commanding fish to be where fish needed to be so that Peter might respond and his friends and partners might respond in the way they ought to respond. Now, if you understand Jesus the way Peter and understand Jesus the way I understand, he's right. Jesus, I am a sinful person. You should have nothing to do with me. Notice what Jesus says. He didn't say, you know, you're right. I made a mistake. I think I'll move on to somebody who's better than you. He says, and all his companions... Because of the catch of fish which they had taken, they were amazed had seized them. And also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter, your vocation, your profession was a fisherman. And you provided for your family, and you've done well. But I've called you to change your profession. It's going to be a little different. You used to catch fish, now you're going to catch people. And Jesus is going to spend the next three and a half years teaching them how to do that. And like most students, Peter doesn't really catch on until the resurrection. Now Peter has a choice. He can take the fish that he just caught and sell them, provide, and move on as a fisherman. Or he could answer the call to no longer be a fisher of fish, but a fisher of people. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They didn't leave just their business. They left everything to follow him. Which is a question that we must ask ourselves. What holds us on to keep from following him completely? Oh, there will be times when we will forsake certain things to follow Jesus. But there are times when you say, I can't do that. 
with Simon and John and James and Andrew. See who Jesus is and leave everything to follow him. Matthew puts it in a much shorter duration. It simply says this in Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is a much shorter version. And when we read this simply, we go, huh, that's strange. Jesus walks by a lake, sees four guys and say, hey, follow me. And they drop everything and start following him. Luke gives us a little more detail as to why they dropped everything to follow him. The reason I don't think we are told what Jesus' message was, was not that it was unimportant. For I suspect and know that everything Jesus says is important. For he is the Son of God. But because this narrative doesn't end with these four people, it introduces us to the Master calling disciples. And some of us are called young in life. And that response may be from being in church or out in the nature or revival, whatever it might be, and you felt the call of God on your life and you may not even remember what the message was that day. Because the message wasn't as important as the call. That he called you. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with what that call might be, it's something that's in your soul that says, follow me. And you will feel uncomfortable at that call. Because you realize that your life is no longer yours, but his. And oftentimes, many people during an invitation time will stand and they will grip the back of the pew, praying to a God that they hope doesn't exist, that the service would soon be over so they can leave. But when that call is so great, they then come and say, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I was a Christian before I became and felt a call to the pastorate. It happened in this building. And I remember the struggle. And I remember my debate with God. Because for you see, I wanted to be a lawyer. 
I had wanted to be a lawyer since I was seven years old. Never asked God whether that was okay with him, just what I wanted to do. Now, I won't tell you all the boring reasons why I wanted to be that, but that's what I wanted to be. And before law school started, I felt the calling of God on my life to become a pastor. And I argued with God saying, you know, I know church people. I don't want to lead them. I've read about Moses and how he gets, I mean, he did things in anger because of God's people. And it's been mine that I've noticed over the next several thousands of years, we haven't changed. We still complain. We still backbite. We still wonder what he's doing even while he's providing for us. And I said, you know, and I know who you are, and you'll probably, because most churches, almost all churches, when you grow up in a church, you're never going to be the pastor of that church. So at the time when I was filling this call, we had a pastor from Arkansas. And I said, God, I know what you're going to do. You're going to send me to a place like Arkansas. There's a bunch of rednecks that I have nothing in common with because you have that kind of sense of humor. Or worse yet, you'll send me to purgatory, which is called Texas. And you'll put me there. And I argued with him for several months. And a few weeks before law school was to start, I said, okay, God, I call you my Lord. In essence, I call you my boss. I really think it's a terrible idea. But if that's what you want, I will do it. After I had done that, I felt the sense of release and said that God said, go ahead and do what you want to do. But I will be back. And lo and behold, he came back. And so I kind of do now what Paul does. I'm a lawyer full-time and a pastor full-time, and we do that. Jesus calls these first disciples, and Jesus calls you and me. So what I want you to do is... While it's important for us to know how Jesus called his initial disciples and the power that he demonstrated, it's just not about them. It's also about you and me. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, For consider your calling, brethren. Think about your calling. Consider it. Think about it. We just don't do this because we do this. Paul tells us to think about it, to consider it. Paul came from a different background. He came from a background of being a religious zealot, persecuting the church. So much so that you can tell by Paul's other writings that he felt great remorse for that. So much so that he says, I'm not even worthy to be called because I persecuted the church. So Paul says, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, you may be the exception to the rule. You may be a PhD in four or five different subjects. People may look to you as the great, wise person of the age. They said there are not many of us that are called like that. Most of us are just average, ordinary people doing average, ordinary things like being a fisherman or a police officer, or a nurse, or a school teacher, or a garbage truck driver. But God calls those people, and God even calls the brilliant mind, because even the brilliant mind knows that it is not his power, but God's. When God assembles his team, it's kind of like those of you who grew up playing sports, not organized sports, but street football or baseball or whatever. And what we would do is we would choose teams. And if you were a good athlete, and you were probably one of the two best athletes in your group, you became the captain because they wanted to make sure the two best athletes weren't on the same team. And then he would choose. And if you were just an average to below average athlete, you had a common prayer. Lord, don't let me be last. Because that's embarrassing. It's even more embarrassing when they say, well, just take him or just take her. Because they're admitting you can't do any damage. So even if it's five against six, the sixth person, we don't even have to cover that person. They're so unimportant. That person that nobody else wants, those are the people God is choosing on his team. Because when that team wins, and it will. It's not because of their talent or ability, but the power of God. So when God calls you and consider that calling, he's not calling you because you're a great expert in what you're doing. He says, just as Peter, I will teach you. I will show you how to be catchers of people. He didn't say, well, Peter, since you're a good expert at catching fish, you can catch people. No, I'm going to train you to do that. But Peter, before he became an expert in catching people, he left everything. And that's what God is looking for on his team. People who, when they receive the call, don't look back. 
there is a story some say it's true some think it's just a myth when Cortez came to the new world to get gold and a lot of other things he ordered his ships to be burned so his men could never go back they only had one option, to go forward. In essence, when Peter and the other three left everything, they burned their ships. They weren't going back because they left everything to follow Jesus. And while we'll read how Peter after the resurrection will preach and thousands of people on different occasions will come to know him. I suspect as we go through and read, no one could have imagined that that would happen. And when God calls you, I suspect you don't even think that God can use you as greatly as he can. But it's not about you. It's about his power and what he chooses to do. Now, sometimes we get very, very myopic in our look. So we'll see certain large churches and say, oh boy, they must be doing something awesome and great. And look how wonderful their ministry must be. And I'm just a Sunday school teacher with three or four boys who, as boys, can hardly maintain sitting still, let alone listen to a lesson. And you wonder what, if anything, you're getting through to them. But one of those boys in your class could be a future Billy Graham. But it's God using you to minister to that boy who can hardly sit still will know that God used you at a time when he wasn't perfect. So the invitation today is not for you to make an earth-shattering decision or whatever right now. The call, the invitation is for you to consider your call. And what keeps you back from leaving everything and following him? And what ship needs to be burned? And all God's people said,